0: On the 809 restaurant and lounge in the heart of Inwood, New York City, welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air. It's where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home what we affectionately call upstate Manhattan. I'm your host, Aaron Sims, and today we are turning our spotlight on theater producer Melissa Moschuto. Melissa is a director, writer, and producer, and the founding artist director of The Anthropologists, a theater group dedicated to the collaborative creation of investigative theater that inspires action. Melissa holds a BA in theater from the University of Massachusetts Amherst and has led devised workshops for Hofstra University, Brooklyn Arts Exchange, the Berkshire Fringe, among many others. We're going to talk about her work, how she goes about it, and very much more. But first, Melissa, welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air. It's great to see you in person.
1: Thank you. It is a joy to see you in person. How are you doing? I'm all right. Yeah, I, I feel very fortunate. Um, my family, you know, we're all healthy. We have these little um, inklings of hope around us now that vaccinations have rolled out. Um, so feeling very fortunate. It
0: feels like we're moving forward, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I just, uh, you know, the vibe is so different in my neighborhood. I'm in Washington Heights on the corner of 181 and Cabrini. So lots of restaurants there and you can just feel the buzz in the air.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's hard to believe it, but it seems there is a plausible feeling of optimism. <laughs> yeah. It's like this is the pandemic is waning
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: um, you know, and if I recall correctly, uh, in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were just about to open The Barn Play that yeah. you were directing for another local group called Up Theatre and was also finishing up, I think, if I'm right, the tour of Artemisia's Tent.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: so it's amazing to see where you were then and where you are now because uh, you've done a host of virtual programming. Uh, but it's not so easy for pr- practitioners just pick up where you left off, is it?
1: No. No, and, and I don't necessarily even want to pick up where I left off. There's certainly, like, I, I, I have a great sadness that A Barn Play has not yet received its premiere. Like, that was just, you know, one of those terrible times where we were in the middle of technical rehearsals, in the middle of building the set, and, and now trying to grapple with a public health crisis that at that time, like, gosh, we had no idea what was about to roll in uh however i think you know there i feel it and i hear it in the theater community at large and just in new york city at large that we have to emerge in a different way in different relationships um with each other with our art making with our working um so I'm trying to remain optimistic about that as well, that the lessons that we've learned over this past really incredibly difficult year, you know can have a a, a lasting positive impact.
0: And just to go because you said it, yeah what personal lessons have you learned?
1: you know i, I It's interesting looking at the end of a barn play when we had to stop, because you're in theater. There's that adage, the show must go on, yeah. and I've worked in indie theater forever.
0: Like, it's, it's, it's just for those of you who aren't <laughs> aware of what indie theater means, think of what MacGyver did for a living.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Paper clips. Absolutely. Um, glad bags, bubble gum, bottle what caps, I, whatever, whatever it takes, we pick up off the street and we'll use it to make it to make the show go on.
1: That's funny because I we I did have a set for the anthropologists um, years ago that was all made of like cardboard that was found on the street, you know, like bundled up outside of liquor stores and stuff, and it was transformed into this gorgeous set. Um, But we can talk about that later. Uh, Totally, like I feel like anyone who works in indie theater, uh, off-off-off Broadway, whatever you want to call it, the unwritten line on the bio is, throw me any challenge and I will deal with it. Um, And this was my first... Like big freelance directing gig, uh, an up theater hired me, which was such a thrill because I've been following them for just as long as I've had my company. Sure, um,
0: great neighborhood group.
1: Yeah, and and you know there we were at this critical juncture, about to start tech and to have be confronted with the fact that it was going to be shut down, or should we shut down? Because this was we started having these conversations before. Broadway shut down and then even after that in the in the rest of the theater community I think there was like this question of like oh well maybe because we're smaller and there's not as many people like we can still go on and it was just incredibly challenging because my gut was like we have to do this or we got to get production photos like can we do a run-through also to honor everyone's work that we had put in for months. And I have, I have sat with many of those moments over the past year um, with not a little bit of regret about um, for, for a theater maker that considers myself people focused, right? That I was so passionate about honoring the work of the people over, I guess, the safety of the people, not understanding what this pandemic was going to be. So I've sat with that a lot and just trying to figure out like how, how can we move forward in a way that truly keeps everybody safe and healthy while they're doing the work.
0: Well, I think it's really incredibly thoughtful of you to understand where you've been and where you're going and what you can take from it because, yeah, you can't go home again. You can't go back to where it was. But you can move forward with what you less learned from there, and I do mm-hmm. feel like the industry has had to change in many ways. The theater industry, all arts, be honest with you, across the board. Um, but uh, it was the right decision for everyone to stop and oh, to, yeah. and and to move forward. And um, and I want to talk about how you move forward as a company because, for lack of a better term, you are the anthropologist, even though you have. It's like, it's like it's like people think like, it's funny, I, I think we share a kindred spirit sometimes because when we talk, it's mostly I talk from time to time uh, and, you know, working on different projects and then people think we have like the staff working for us and it's just like, no, it's just us and the doozers from Fraggle Rock behind us, you yeah, know, yeah. building things for, I mean, it's like we don't, we don't have like elves and gypsy, you know, we, 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 it's right? just us, we don't have like this whole harem of people working it's just like we are always willing this into existence so I always find it very interesting that anthropologists is a devised group because you're the one even though it's, it's so you're such a collaborative um person to work with it has to come from you to begin with so uh but I will say though because I have followed pretty much everything you've ever done um it's the nature of your work is what I really wanted to get at so the anthropologist creates its original productions through an ensemble devised methodology using improvisation, uh, composition, highly stylized movement, uh, which is inspired by found text and source material and artifacts. I'm getting that out of the way. Just, I want to get the whole, like, what is devised theater kind of thing. I don't want to go there. I, cause I, I think that's, it's a never-ending like rabbit hole that you'll never find. I, the, um, the
1: best definition of that that I ever heard was as many people, artists, companies are doing devised theater, like, they'll all have different definitions, so.
0: And and so I feel like, find what works for you, which is what I'm gonna get at. Uh, So as the founder and the leader of this group, Mm -hmm. um, which means you do bring people to help you, uh, I'm curious where you began uh, and felt at home in this system of your devised work uh, for creating work. And if you could recall um, any validating moments where you realized that this pathway was valid for you and working for you?
1: Oh, I, I love that question. And I thank you so much for it. And also, b- before before we completely move on, I did want to say that Up Theater is committed to remounting a right. barn play. So a barn play, the barn doors will be open again at some point. Um, we are we're looking at an, an excerpted performance in June, which will probably already have happened by the time you're listening to this. Um, Still, but hoping that next year um, we will be able to to remount. Um, so yeah this question of of uh, a validating moment in making theater uh, with the anthropologists and in in a devising way, yeah. Um, i I always go back immediately to the first big play that we ever did, um, because that really planted the seeds for like the, the foundation, the anchor of the work and it really was in this opportunity to resurrect lost history and find not just any voices but women's voices that had so often been relegated to the footnotes and not part of any historical narrative. and. That was so powerful, and in this case, our first show was "Give Us Bread." We were telling the story of immigrant women in the Lower East Side in nineteen seventeen uh who rioted against rising food prices, and you know when I started that project, you could you know, search on the internet, you wouldn't really find anything about the food riots. I was in the main branch of the library, like, looking at books, copying things by hand because I couldn't take them out. This was before the days of just taking a photo with your phone of everything. Um, Finding uh, newspaper articles in the Yiddish forward and getting those translated. And now, if you you search 1917 food riots, you'll find a a whole bunch of writing on it. Um, But that moment of, like, the culmination of that project and seeing these women's, this moment in these women's lives, resurrected on stage was so powerful. And even after that, a family got in touch with me who, um, they were the descendants of one of the characters in the play and and we connected years later. Uh, and just to know that we're part of the legacy of Marie Gons and so many other women's lives. Um, that, that is like the, the driving force for me.
0: Well, and I'm curious how that has, to, has evolved over the years because I've seen it evolve. Um, so you've been, I mean, the one show that sticks up in my mind is The Anthropologist Saves the World.
1: <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, and, and you know, there have certainly been other times where we go, we go a little off the rails. <laughs> um, and it's not always about Resurrecting historical voices. In that case, we were really um, contemplating, I guess, our future selves in uh, a changing world that is being changed by climate change and right. grappling with scientific data. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm wondering if you were at the performance that I was, we, we had. So our motto is where art meets action, and we really are trying to like find these inroads into getting the audience to like grapple with the issues that we're grappling with, and maybe go out and make a change or learn a little something more. And in that case, the the, the show was asking, you know, do we have the capacity as individuals to change, to adapt in the face of climate change? I think we were like a little bit pessimistic in that show, but. Um, Maybe a little bit. We decided to survey the audience as they were going in as sort of part of this pre-show thing. And there was one show that we were, we were like on the ball and we surveyed like every single person who came into the new Ohio. And the audience was like very quiet that night. Um, I think probably, because the, the survey had to do with your environmental choices and do you eat meat? and And then it was sort of like replayed for them by the end of the show. Um as a group. As yeah, yeah.
0: A little judgy there, huh?
1: You know I it's okay to say maybe yes. but I will I mean I will say like for that show we challenged ourselves as yeah. a team He said, everyone has to adopt an eco-challenge. Like, can we actually make a change in our lives? And as the artistic director and the director of the show, I had to go big. So my challenge was, I'm giving up meat for the whole rehearsal period um, and, and through the production. And I will say, you know, for the most part, that was 2017. For the most part, I've stuck with that. I've, I've had my moments, certainly in the pandemic, being huddled at home and wanting comfort food. There there were times that I, that I strayed from being a vegetarian. Um, but, you know, we don't...
0: We forgive, uh, we forgive you. You should
1: forgive yourself. Okay. No, no. I mean, this is, this is part of the... You know, I, I live in the gray area. I think that's also something about our process and devising. And it's always challenging our... Perceptions, our capacities, our own internal narratives, right? And you have to be willing to both be, you know, change how you're thinking, how you're approaching, even working together, um, and also offer yourself some forgiveness and a little bit of grace.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's it's okay, even though um, that particular production, I don't think I was exactly at their show. That that to answer your question, I don't okay. think I was. I, well, now I, I'm I, curious I, about I, your. I, I don't think I was at that particular production. Uh, but which is, I quote, I, I think that kind of like, I have a fondness where you said so that's like, were you at that show? It's like, I miss being like at a specific show and having that odd one-off event happen that you that never happened any other, other mm-hmm. time. And so I miss that kind of um, togetherness and uh, sp- specialness of live performance. Yeah. Um, but to your point, like, it's funny you say like you played in the gray area because like that show was so in your face. It was, it was so very much, it was very much a social, uh commentary um and it, and it was a forceful you know you guys better get with it <laughs> by the or, end. Or, or, yeah. or it's just all coming down to nothing and there's not going to be anything left and I I mean, your voice is loud and clear with the I would say the very Odette's waiting for lefty agitation propaganda it's like mm-hmm. it's this way folks if you don't believe me you know, watch the end of the play, and uh, and so I think it's okay. So my point is like being judgy. Judgy is okay when you have a specific uh, agenda you're trying to achieve. Art meeting action, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and that's why I think that it's very interesting to see how you all work, um, not just working together in the room, but working towards an idea, uh, which I always thought was wonderful. How your shows center around. A larger idea to find their place, mm. uh, and um, even if you are pushing one side more than it, perhaps another side, I, you, you always you have to have the one. Without, you can't have one without the other. So I feel yeah. like you do have a fairness to your work, so I want to make sure I said that out <laughs> loud. Um, uh, but um, let's talk about uh, no pants in Tucson. Yeah, okay. Um, it's such a great name for an album cover I think No Pants and Toots It might become an album It's like a, it like, a, like a Patty Smith lost uh, bootleg somewhere I, or, It seems yeah. like it um, So fundamentally uh, And please correct me if I'm wrong Because obviously it's still being evolving yeah. um, It's a play about gender oppression mm-hmm. uh, Specifically the Regulating what is And what is not appropriate for the female body
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, So Where did the spark come from that, inc- that decided to develop the idea of this project?
1: Yeah, so this was back in 2018. Uh, and we were nearing the end of a, a residency that we had at Aprons Art Center, the other end of the world, as far as we're concerned up here in Inwood, way down yeah. on the Lower East Side. Um, and at the time, I just had stumbled across um, It actually was like a clothing ad, and it was talking about how in France, it was only recently that a law had been overturned that prohibited uh, women from wearing pants, which just seemed so laughable, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I started investigating the counterpart to that law uh, in the United States and came across a host of laws that were, I would say that most of them were on the ridiculous side. And even as we started to dig further, there were certainly some that fell into the category of urban legends. I think our favorite one that I've never been able to find the actual legal text or the inciting incident uh, is an unmarried woman in Florida may not buy a parachute on a Sunday now, where that came from, I don't know, but it has it, it was fodder, you know great inspiration for a lot of exploration there. I just
0: want to meet the woman who tried because exactly you know, because you know that's why the law exists
1: yeah and, totally and, and, and,
0: and what was the kerfluffle surrounding that?
1: Yes, absolutely and and you know when we when I When we founded this company back in 2008, it really was with this desire to explore people in time and space and to use either the past, in the case of historical documents, artifacts, or Scientific inquiry um, where we 've done a lot of work using uh, climate change data and science, so either the past or future projections to understand like where we are right now to recontextualize where we are um, so it 's that you know curiosity like what where exactly who's that person that tried to buy the parachute on sunday uh, and and we really um, The other important thing about that piece in Time is that it was when uh, Brett Kavanaugh's uh, nomination was announced. And my co-collaborator, Mariah, Frida, and I were very concerned. Uh, Not concerned about our rights to buy a parachute. Uh, Concerned about our reproductive rights uh, and that his appointment was going to be a big threat to that. Uh, And we were curious about, can we use uh, these archaic laws, can we explore those to talk about what is the cost of gender oppression? What does it mean to have some of these laws still on the books, uh, even if they may not be enforced? Is there a scenario in which they start to be enforced? and so that that's where the seeds were planted. That was the, the first provocation. And at the time, we were getting ready for our first tour of Artemisia's Intent, which is a solo show that we created. It was the first solo show we devised as an ensemble. It was five of us who created that play uh, that, uh, follows the life of Artemisia Gentileschi, a 17th century Italian painter, and really is our way of looking at um, what happens when women have been left out in art, or are um, you know, pigeonholed into certain roles, whether they are the artist, the creator, or they are the subject, uh, and looking at the gatekeepers of, of women. Uh, and I'll just share that when we did tour it in fall of 2018, it was during the Kavanaugh hearings, and there were distinct, if not verbatim, echoes during those hearings, quotes that people were listening to on CNN or wherever they were showing the, the, the live hearings that were in the play itself, which was based on trial testimony from the 1600s. So, What we may think of as the past, um, it really is still here with us. That was 400 years ago. We're looking at, so for No Pants in Tucson, we're looking at laws, city ordinances in particular, that uh, prohibited cross-dressing. These proliferated in the 1850s, around the time that dress reform uh, was starting to be a thing and women were saying, we shouldn't have to wear corsets, we shouldn't have to wear big skirts, we should be able to wear bloomers and pants, which was just outrageous, because it was tied to women's right to vote. So this law came into play and then was since used, weaponized against women seeking employment, women seeking equal wage, uh, women in gay and lesbian relationships, transgender people. Uh, and, and we can see that 150 years later, uh these rules maybe they're not in actual law right now uh but they are certainly part of our cultural policy
0: it's funny how the past becomes your present right Mm -hmm. i mean that's why uh, shakespeare your classics they're classics for a reason they endure Um, they they endure and there's uh it is it is funny how or you see uh, a great indie play like yours um, about climate change or about women's rights, uh, that has a specific resonance because these issues keep coming up. There, it's it has kept coming up for all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, that generation dealt with it. It's funny how we inherit the inherit problems of <laughs> the generations we, and uh, and by. Doug Garner, we will parachute on Sundays if we can. Uh, I want all women to be able to parachute on a Sunday. But it uh, might
1: be the closing scene of the play. I, I don't know. I,
0: well, well, I think it's funny that it's because it is all related, and I think that'd be awesome. It's like your chandelier uh, from, from yeah. Phantom. Yeah. Um, here comes the parachute. Uh, I, it's it's wonderful that you attack it with such veracity, and I think that it's important that um, what I've always enjoyed about the devisement of your work is that. It brings in the real life aspects, aspects of these. It's real circumstances. It's not something that you're playwriting. Yes, there's playwriting as far as perhaps what glues the scenes together, and, yeah. and, and there's a lot of and form and body and story. Mm-hmm. But there, it's it's rooted in a, a hard truth of what we've experienced as society, and um, to borrow the phrase, you are holding the mirror up to nature mm-hmm. um, very well to say this is what you need to think about America, or, yeah. where, or, or wherever you're watching it now. or Zoom friendly to all the corners of the globe. Absolutely. Uh, and I think um, that's what I've always enjoyed about your work.
1: Well, thank you. Thank sure. you. Um, yeah, I, so you just, I just wanted to to share a little bit more about our process. In that, you know, when we start working, um, we have this provocation, this question. This, you know, in this case, we're asking, "What is the cost of gender oppression?" Um, but, you know, we are very playful about engaging with those questions. We're bringing in newspaper articles, photographs charts, legal text, whatever it is that is creating the foundation for the work and we're going and playing in the rehearsal room and making discoveries. And the way we set up our work is that um, everyone's whole self is welcome. And so it becomes very personal, even when, even if we might not be sharing our own personal life stories, inevitably that does happen. but there is a great deal of, of personal investment in the creation of the work. Uh, and then as, as it evolves, we do shift into our different uh, primary artistic roles, performer, designer, writer, director. Uh, but the script does come last in our work.
0: Well, um, I love how the way you would develop ideas what are your plans for premiering it in 2021 or 2022 and um i think this is an important question that's kind of putting the cart before the horse in sense but um how has the pandemic played into the creation and the way you intended to present the play before because you said you started in 2018 mm-hmm. and yes we're all about process so i'm not gonna get in that argument um or the, or the whole idea of when is the show even finished? That's a a podcast for another time. Uh, But I'm just curious how, um, if, Mm -hmm. and how bringing your whole selves to the room has changed the, because the core of the play is still the core of the play. Mm -hmm. That's not gonna change, but I'm curious of how, the way you're telling the story has changed. Uh,
1: Absolutely. Um, This year, oh my gosh, this year changed so much. Uh, I will say that personally as a theater maker, I'm a traditionalist. Like I wanna be in the theater, I want the lights, I want the, you know, all the things that go with putting on a show. So I was pretty resistant at first to diving into the world of Zoom theater and online theater. We still were doing some things on Zoom. We used to have we had meetings already on Zoom because several of us are parent artists, and it's a lot easier to do a video call than to find a mutually satisfying geographical coffee located coffee shop, right? Um, So you know, we immediately pivoted to continuing the devising process online, in part because we had a workshop set up for the spring, I had actors in place, I had a budget in place, and then everything shut down, and everyone lost their jobs. I'm not saying I was paying a ton, but for a time, you know, we might have been the only money that was coming in to some of our performers, and this was a way to, like, keep us grounded and keep us rooted. But the beautiful thing is that it opened up it opened up my eyes to the artistic vision of my collaborators. It's one thing to be in the room together and saying, Okay we're all going to go play, but then, when everyone's creating separately, we found out, Oh, you know uh, Tess is really great at video editing um Mariah loves writing songs and wrote some original music, uh, and all these other talents that came to life in the storytelling that we wouldn't have done if we were in the rehearsal room together. So that opened up new possibilities for storytelling around the play. um, This was in conjunction to doing these very small Zoom sessions with friends and supporters where we were like hey look at this little video that we made based on this person's story and we realized our audience was like really into that uh and my friend who might be your friend too peter michael marino said and he's a theater maker solo artist uh said i think you have something bigger than just one play here, and that clicked for me. So that initiated a digital storytelling project, where we gave actors um, a budget and said, "Choose one character from or a historical figure from our research, and go make something about them. It can be any format you want it to be. Go be creative." And the anthropologist became a producing and. Ent- entity in that regard. Where we were, I was working with Lindy Rosario, our dramaturg, and Lucy Azalinas, our new assistant producer, and we were like, what can we do to support you as an artist? And Tess made an incredible experimental film. And uh, Mariah made a fabulous phone play. Um, You can call a number and get immersed into this world. Irina, our visual designer, did a whole costume exploration that another actor, uh, Marissa Joyce Stamps, did a voiceover for. And it actually relieved a little bit of the pressure of making the play in the sense that when you're devising, so much ends up on the cutting room floor, right? You're like, oh, that that character was really interesting, but they're not gonna make it into the full play. Or they are, but we're not gonna get their full life story. So now we can actually highlight more people, more women uh, in this creative process. We have a singer behind us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is what happened. Do they
1: wanna be in the show? No, well I will say, uh, we do intend to produce the play in twenty twenty one we're looking at this fall um, with all the mysteries that producing mid or post pandemic brings but you know we feel that optimism of we're, we're slowly on the road to being almost fully vaccinated as as an acting company uh, and proceeding with caution uh, but really want to create an a live theater experience. We do physical theater. Right. Like, we're, we're an ensemble. We need to be in the same room.
0: I'm curious, um, what, I, I, I love what you said that, and I can't wait, I'm very hopeful you'll be back in the fall, and somehow, some way in person. Yeah. Um, I'm curious with, over the past two years, a lot of things have changed with activism finding its way into popular culture. Mm-hmm. I think, I hope, It will serve your company well, Um, because I think a lot of the issues you tackle um, has bubbled up through activism and social justice. um, Whether it's larger movements like Me Too and Black Mm Lives Matters, uh, and immigration being front and center um, through gender parity and equal rights. I'm curious, uh, and I don't know, and I don't expect you to know, but I'd like for you to guess because you're front and center. What are you saying? bringing people in through different, because you think it's, it's larger than just the play, there a lot of different things happening for that one particular section of the producing mm-hmm. elements. We're seeing it so much in our popular culture day to day. Do you think it will affect in-person box office coming in person to, because I think it's funny, I think it's, I don't know with a double-edged sword saying, I see it every day and I'm with you, But I'd rather watch Hello Dolly tonight at home, uh, which is totally different. Or I am so with you, and yes, I wanna see more tonight. I'll be there at 8 o'clock with bells on, and I'm bringing a friend. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just curious what your thoughts and feelings are on that, because culture has changed a bit.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, it was interesting once there was the proliferation of theater online, um, in that, you know, so I have two children. They go to school here in Inwood. Uh, they are seven and eight and a half. So when they were very little, there was a stretch of time where I, I didn't even think I was gonna get out of the house again, uh, let alone go see a show, right? And there were so many shows or events or, or theatrical gatherings that I couldn't be a part of. Um, and in that way, I kind of, I, I did appreciate so much how, how many people were creating spaces to gather online. And it was like, yes, this level of accessibility is so incredibly important. That being said, I definitely used this time to catch up on movies and Netflix when I could. Um, so, But I, online content, digital content, online events is never going to go away. It is not, there's not going to be a magical line where it's like, oh, ding, ding, we're back in person, we don't have to do stuff online. Uh, So I fully anticipate that we will continue creating digital content, um, that we will continue doing events. Last night, we did uh, the first event in a new programming series called Resetting the Table. So these are conversations that we're hosting around gender, public policy and public office. So last night we um, spoke with four women candidates for city council, uh, and I hope to continue those conversations. And we, for the first time, we had live ASL interpretation, um, which I'm so thrilled that we were able to do. And I think this, this past year has lit a fire in me to work towards greater accessibility in my own producing, which is so often hard. As you know, in New York City, finding a space that is accessible Mm -hmm. is like a needle in a haystack, Um, but that can't be our excuse anymore. We have to find more ways to make the work accessible. And the other fire is really actively and every day practicing anti-racism. So this past year, we actually, we did step back a bit from producing content and really stopped and had to check in with like how we were making work and really interrogate all of our practices and see where systems or structures or best practices were actually failing people or stopping people from working with us. We've done a lot of work around uh, that and are committed to being uh, an anti-racist Theater company and organization, uh, so all of those things are intersecting. Um, I, 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 it's listen. It's always hard to get uh, to sell tickets, right, and to get an audience. I hope that once people are ready to get back into the theater, and once we have live performances happening, that people will crave uh, that in-person experience. I mean, in my opinion, nothing is going to replace. Nothing can replace being in being in the room where it happened, being in the theater. Um, can we bring that to more people by live streaming a production or by filming and then later making it available? Sure. I know it's not going to be the same, but this is something that we're going to try and do. Uh, and you know, I don't also mean to say that like the play is going to be super didactic or or judgy. Um, and that, you know, audiences who have met us along this journey as we're creating the play and have now seen other content, you know, I, my wish is that their curiosity has been piqued and they'll finish the journey with us in the theater.
0: Well, I think that's a wonderful world to strive for on stage. Yeah. Uh, to, to create that area where accessibility, um, however, which way it can be, um, all roads leave there. It's about the work. And it's about creating an access point to that work. And I, I fully agree with you. I feel um, virtual programming should be used as a tool. I am of a certain age. I will say that I prefer live myself because I like being there where it happens. I like, you said, having that unique experience where I did get that piece of paper going in. And, uh, and, yeah. and then something random happened that I, will never happen again. Um, and there's uh, and, such and, and a it was visceral glorious. experience yeah. right you're sharing the breath it's like i I, you, I use the term quite a bit uh saying i love like going into a room with complete strangers and coming out friends afterwards mm-hmm. do you know what i mean it's yeah. like you all you all we have all shared this experience that we will never again share again and it was unique into itself and uh and that's the beauty of that particular moment in time it's about mm-hmm. associating those moments together so I agree, I feel like if we can try to find ways to keep associating um, accessible access points, whether it's virtual, whether it's in person with ASL, and also, um, you know, ADA accesses, then forget that. Uh, we need to find ways, um, and of course, uh, race, gender, uh, religion, <laughs> check all the boxes, uh, and that's what I hope I'm achieving within What Art Works, uh, keeping, you know, an open signal, wide open platform for whatever, whoever and however. Uh, (laughs) And I think that's what we have to do. And so I applaud you for taking the step back. And it's not about quantity and pushing things out. It's about finding um, a system that works for you um, and taking a look at that system periodically and reassessing how you want to move forward with the work. And I Mm -hmm. think you're quite on the
1: way of doing that. Well, thank you. And I, you know, I think, Aaron, about um, y- that you have found and made space up here in Inwood, where people didn't see that before. right? Like I, When I first moved to New York City, I was on the corner of Broadway and Cummings, right by the library. Uh, then I relocated, um, that was just for summer. Then I, when I moved to the city, permanently, it was like Washington Heights. And there was always this idea like, oh yeah, all the arts people, all the theater people live uptown. But nobody was making theater uptown. And you have created physical space and, uh, I don't know, would you say metaphysical space for artists to gather? And, you know, whether it is a theater performance or I'm thinking about going into the gallery um, where now the library has has relocated uh, temporarily. That's what, that, that's
0: what happens when you create space. Right. Other, other people What. Would... Full disclosure: The library people came to our opening night at one of our opening night galleries, and they go, "This is really nice." Yeah. Because they couldn't imagine the space mm-hmm. like that. It took someone. I'll just say, like, yeah. me, or whatever, or me in this case, uh, to say, you know what, that'd be a really great art gallery, and put it up there, and then people see, wow, that space actually is usable, and that space can actually be a a, a meeting place. Yeah. And, and and it's I'm happy to say that we did what we did there, and it's being used, and a library is there for. It's, at the time being, until they build a new one, right? So,
1: but uh, you know, and, and th- that's something that we share—that uh, we're able to envision something new, maybe recontextualize a space or a community for people, and uh, there's such great power in that, uh, especially when it does happen in person. I think about like the people I met and the neighbors that I chatted with um, at the art gallery, and now the art that I own, because I was the winning bidder on several pieces. <laughs> um, That's great. So I just uh, admire so much the, the spaces that you've made to highlight so many artists. And you've changed the, the landscape. Um, for Upper Manhattan and arts, you know, you're one of those people along with Up Theatre Company and People's Theatre Project. And that will also be interesting now that, you know, neighborhoods are so important, even more important, uh, I think, post-pandemic. Um, you know, can there be more art spaces here in our backyard?
0: I think there can be, I'm yeah. betting, I, I bet my company on it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, like I said, I, I, I doubled down long time ago on that here. And uh, yeah, I'm a firm believer that it it will. And and I think we'll, um, I think we'll, we won't know. I think it's gonna be a a long, slow burn. Mm -hmm. Um, And it may not be for the better, I'll just say, uh, as far as spaces and opportunities and jobs throughout the end of 2021, Mm -hmm. even going to 2022. Even though I have great optimism for, Rekindling uh, theater and and live events, but uh, it's it's going to take um, full capacity to be able to can't do things piecemeal. We have to, we have to have everybody on board, mm-hmm. um, vaccination wise slash, um, just uh, I would say spiritually speaking, and I mean spiritually means like there's no like, we're not timid, we're not afraid, we're not holding ourselves back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, we have to move forward as a community. Uh, not just the problems you were addressing through the anthropologist, uh, taking on, you know, uh, gender identity and, um, and racism and climate change and many other things. Uh, we have to move forward as a group saying, we need to make space for ideas. We need to make space for ideas to be explored and they need to be able to fail gloriously. Um, and also celebrate the ones that made it through mm-hmm. uh, that'll lead to other ones. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's how we grow as a community because that's where the debate comes in uh, and we and that's how we learn and focus to move forward. So I, 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 I think it's gonna be a little bit of adjustment period, um, but I'm so glad that you've created this virtual content, soon to be live content. And just so we know, now is this virtual content available in perpetuity on your website? Yeah. Absolutely. And where is it?
1: You can go to www.theanthropologists.org org/backslash/no-dash-pants-dash-digital, or there's a link on the homepage too, um, and that's where you can see everything that has been created to date. And we are making plans to do another round of digital content later this summer, early fall, uh, and and we'll see how it continues to to roll out. So we'd love for you to visit.
0: Awesome. We'll put uh, a link up to the anthropologist page on our episode description of this podcast. So you guys can go right there and hit the link and be right and the anthropologist's wonderful page and creation. Thank you. you. It's all for yourselves. Uh, Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Thank you for
1: the invitation. You bet.
0: Great to see you in person and um, you know, it's just wonderful to have real life interactions Uh, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I look forward to more things coming up in 2021, 2022. Thank you. All right, so thanks to Melissa Machito for joining me on this Artist Spotlight episode of In What Artworks Works On Air. It's where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home here in Upper Manhattan. If you have a moment, please show us some love right now, if you will, and rate and review this podcast. I have a podcast that really does help us. And please share it with your friends. Uh, Many thanks to 809 Restaurant and Lounge at 112 Dykeman Street here in Inwood for hosting us and to heightsites.com for local uptown promotional support. Be sure to follow us on social media at Inwood Artworks to keep up with all that we do, including the Inwood Film Festival, Filmworks Al Fresco, pop-up art galleries, uh, live performances, and so much more. You can also support us and all of our programming by making a tax-free donation at at NYC backslash donate. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council and in part by a grant from NYC & Company Foundation with partial support from Manhattan Manhattanville President Gail Brewer. The top Manhattan and the bottom of our hearts. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Aaron Sims for Inwood Artworks On Air.